Um, the reading of the word today comes from Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This has been the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you all. Can I just say for a sec, too, how much I love just worshiping with you all? It is so sweet. I got my daughter singing out in one ear, and I got my dear brothers over here singing in the other. It's just sweet. Uh, Church, I am so thankful to be here with you all this morning. Uh, Pastor Frank is finishing up a study break, so... When he comes back, he'll have probably all his sermons done for the rest of the year, which is how he rolls. I don't know how he does it. Uh, First, I just wanted to share a few words about this series overall for those that have maybe missed a couple weeks or are new to the church. We're in week six of seven in a series we're calling Life in the Spirit. And the Spirit is the main character in this series that we've been studying. We've been looking through Romans 8, just chapter 8 which is one of the most dense theological chapters in the Bible. This is part of a letter written by Paul the Apostle to the church in Rome, a church that he had only heard about up to this point. And this church in Rome was led by Gentiles and Jews who struggled and had major conflict within the church in how the Spirit relates to the law. Because those two don't seem to relate very easily. And so that is the point of Paul's whole letter of Romans, is to help the church navigate the Spirit, and the law. Now, in chapter 8, as we've been working our way through it, our verses today are in a section that begins in verse 18. And so this section, Paul begins painting a new picture here in verse 18, a picture of a glorious future hope that helps put our present struggles, difficulties, confusion, suffering, into perspective. And as I read that list, anyone in here resonate with any of those? Probably, right? Difficulties, confusion about the things in your life, work, the nation. You might have noticed, if you've been coming the last few weeks, that on Sundays here, the topic of suffering has come up a lot. You might be thinking, does anything go right for the people at this church? They just talk about suffering all the time. What's going on here? I understand why you might think that, but let me remind you of what Paul's pointing out in this section that starts in 18. The picture he's painting is not one of present suffering, but one of future hope in Christ. And if you walk away only thinking the last few weeks about suffering, if your main takeaway today has to do with suffering, you've missed the forest for the trees. Paul's not talking about suffering Directly, And on Sundays here, suffering's not the goal to talk about. It's the work of Christ. So don't miss the picture of a glorious future that awaits all believers. That's, by the way, what suffering people need to hear. We need to be reminded of that glorious future. You know, it's said that in a church, something like 80% of people are experiencing suffering of some kind or another, 80%. Now, if you're in here and you're like, well, geez, I must be part of the 20% then because I, I don't know. I don't think I am suffering right now. Things seem pretty hopeful, in fact, in my life. And to you, I would say blessings to you. 
dear brother and sister. But I would also say suffering is coming your way. There will be a day when your money and your comfort and your family and your support system will fail you. Maybe one day Jesus will be all you have. And my prayer, the prayer of our leadership here in this church, is that on that day, whether that's tomorrow or 20 years from now, you'll remember old Pastor Mustache up here who used to say to you, no, you'll remember Paul's words in Romans 8 that there's a light at whatever the end of that tunnel is. There's hope. This isn't all there is for you, Christian. There's something of yours in heaven. Things will not always and forever be the way they are now. And when you remember that, it puts everything around you into its proper perspective. That is Paul's point that he begins in verse 18. He says, church, your present sufferings, whatever they are, however big they are, are not even worth comparing with the glories of heaven. So be patient. Endure. Don't give up. Keep at it. Galatians 6, 9 reminds us, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So church, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but don't give up. Hang in there. And Paul is going to unpack more of this today in verses 26 and 27. How to endure prayerfully and how to do that by the Spirit himself. Maybe when all you can do in the midst of this is groan. Maybe all you can do is cry out. Maybe that's enough. Maybe God can work with that. So let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word. And I pray, God, that you would help me to, by your spirit, communicate the mysteries of this passage. To be able to communicate the things that, have I, as I've thought deeply about this passage, that I feel like, Spirit, you've revealed to me. Help me to communicate those in a way that, is, that does honor to the beauty of your word, God. And as I prayed last time I preached, I might just pray this forever every time I preach. Let anything that's not from you, God, be forgotten, tossed away, and let your word be what remains and settles in our hearts and convicts us of sin and shows us the hope of our glorious future. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read together Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And we'll pause there. We already talked about what Paul means by likewise. Remember, he's continuing a thought that began in verse 18. He's painting this hope-inspiring picture of the future that awaits Christians. And because, because things around us are not like that, the inner groaning that we experience. We see where we're going, and we look around and go, oh, this looks nothing like that. The tension between the suffering in the now and waiting for glory. And the Spirit helps us in that. That's one of the clear jobs of the Spirit in the life of the believer is a helper. And Scripture talks about this in a lot of different ways all, all throughout, but this is a reality for us post-resurrection Jesus followers. The Spirit in us helps us. And the Gospel of John uses this term regularly. He's the one who helps us. So he helps us, but how? He helps us in our weakness, what we just read. And the kind of weakness he has in mind, he says, because we don't know how to pray as we ought. And I read that and go, yes, that, that makes sense. 
We just don't know the right thing to say or how to say it sometimes. So if I took a poll here today and I said, all right, so all the Christians in here, are you happy or satisfied with your current prayer life? What do you think I'd find? I think I'd probably find a little bit of, oh, yeah, I know I should pray more. I, I, I know. Maybe a little guilt, maybe a little shame, right? It might encourage you to know that one of our elders years ago, he's a past elder of ours, once said to the other pastors and elders in the room at the time, he asked that question. He said, he said uh, how do we feel about our prayer lives? And our response was kind of similar. And even there, we had a sense, too, that something was lacking in our prayer lives. And we pray. We pray more than most. But still, there's this feeling of lacking. And he simply asked the question at the time, why is that? Why is it like that? Why is that? He said, I assume you do pray, so why does it feel like it's not enough? I think in the context of suffering that we feel that even more. Have you ever been with someone going through something just awful and hard? What do you say next to them? As you realize their pain, what can you say? And if you've been in those situations, you know there's sometimes nothing you can say. Often. What do you say when words aren't enough? Where's the comfort then? Where's the hope in those situations? Many of you in here directly have been in situations with that kind of heavy loss and grief. Was it words in those moments that helped you, that lifted you out of that suffering? Sometimes. Sometimes scripture reminds us with words, but not always. If in the midst of that pain, if you found the strength to pray, what what did you pray? Literally, what words did you say when you prayed? I think that's Paul's point here. Sometimes there are no words to fix things. That's the kind of weakness Paul has in mind here. But I think there are some other elements to our weakness, the weakness that we bring when we pray to consider. So first, we are weak in the sense of when you sit next to someone who's going through something awful, you can't really fix it for them. And you feel that and you go... It's just hard. So yes, we're weak in the sense we can't fix things sometimes. But we're also physically weak. So consider this. We need things at some point like rest, sleep. We bow down to pray for too long and our necks hurt and our backs hurt. We're limited physically in our prayer. We are also, I think, weak in the discipline to pray as we ought. We lose focus. We end up staring at our phones instead. We fall asleep. We lay down in our bed to pray. Okay, I'm going to pray before I fall. And we're out. It happens. Or maybe we just would rather to do something else. We, we lack the discipline. This is why you won't often see a midweek class here called How to Pray. Because no one would come to it. And that's not a guilt trip. I'm, just, I'm simply trying to acknowledge that sometimes we lack the discipline to see prayer for what it really is. And value it like scripture tells us to. Like the disciples in Matthew 26. You remember this story when Jesus comes to him and he says, Guys, I'm overwhelmed with grief and sadness. I need some alone time. I'm going to go pray over here. And it would mean so much to me if you could pray here together. He leaves. He goes and prays. He comes back. And what does he find? <laughs> They're out. They're asleep. He goes, Really? 
Really? I said, I'm, I'm so sad, I feel like I'm going to die. And I go to pray and you come back and you're just snoozing. I'm very thankful for that story. But our weakness in prayer includes a lack of discipline to pray. What about this? Our faith is weak when we pray. Maybe some of us here think that prayer probably won't do anything anyway, so why bother? Why try? Maybe we lack the confidence to pray for as we ought. I can't pray that kind of prayer. I need to get myself sorted out first, and then I can. That's a faith issue. Our faith in the power of prayer can be weak. Maybe it doesn't feel worth the effort. Or maybe our prayers just end up feeling dry. When I do sit down to pray, it just feels like I'm saying the same thing over and over. Can, can you guys relate to that? Eugene Peterson has a great quote that I always remember in those times. He said, the reason our prayers often feel dry is because they've been uprooted from the soil of God's word. So think about that. When your prayers feel dry, you can take a psalm and read it, reflect on it, and literally pray those words back to God. You don't have to come up with words. And remember when Jesus is like, here's how to pray? Don't just try to come up with words. So try praying scripture. Okay, so you add up all those ingredients, right, of our weakness bodily and mentally, and you see a general picture of really our own inadequacy in prayer. How was the sermon on Sunday? I heard you visited Redemption Arcadia. That was pretty good. The guy said that I'm just generally inadequate. Uh, Still thinking about that. I'm not sure if I'll come back. We'll see. I think this is what we feel when we sense our prayer life to be lacking. Even those of us who are faithful in prayer, all our prayers fall short. We feel that tension. How in the world do we pray without ceasing, like 1 Thessalonians 5 says, when I sit down to pray, but after five minutes I'm distracted or asleep or simply just run out of words to say. Paul understands this. We understand this, and more importantly, the Spirit understands this too. Let's read the rest of verse 26. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Can I just slow us down and consider each of those words real real quick? Mark, could you throw that back up there? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Wow. I had this realization as I was studying this passage um, recently that I've always heard that verse slightly different. I always thought of that in that verse, it's saying that I'm the one groaning and the Spirit kind of intercedes and interprets that groan. But no, it's the Spirit that's groaning. Consider that. Pastor Tyler Thompson talked about this some last week with this idea of groaning. It's like a venting. It's like a big sighing breath. Isn't it hard to imagine the person of the Holy Spirit walking into a room and just going, isn't it hard to imagine him doing that? He's venting something that cannot be expressed in words. In this section of Romans 8, Again, in, starting in verse 18, he's continuing this thought. There are three different groanings in this passage. We talked about two last week. Verse 22, creation groans. Verse 23, we groan. And now here, the Spirit groans. 
One commentator sums it up here really helpfully like this. The Spirit's groans are distinguished, they're different from the groans of Christians themselves. They are, he says, the Spirit's own language of prayer. A ministry of intercession that takes place in our hearts, but in a manner imperceptible to us. Now, we're going to come back to that idea in a minute, but Paul is describing an unknowable language of prayer between the Godhead, which is pretty amazing. Now, maybe you grew up with a certain teaching that's based on this passage, and so I want to address this, what I'm about to um, bring up here, but everything I've read on this passage, and I read a lot in the last week or two, rejects the idea that the groaning here is referring to the gift of tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues. The Spirit's groaning, that's too deep for words, uh, everyone that I read agrees that it does not refer to the gift of tongues here. Maybe you grew up hearing that it was. Let's try to unpack that idea briefly. Now, I do believe the gift of tongues is a thing. I've seen it done. I've seen it interpreted. I think the gifts of the Spirit are alive and well in the church. But that's not what this passage is speaking of. To say that about this passage would be a misuse and misunderstanding of this passage. We know that because Paul is speaking here, again, starting in this section that we define, to all Christians. He's saying that this spirit groaning is true of all the children of God, that the spirit groans and intercedes for all believers. But it's not true to say that every Christian has the gift of tongues. And it would not be true to say that if you don't have the gift of tongues, well, then maybe you're not a Christian. You maybe heard that, but that's wrong. That's hurtful to hear. And when you look at the verses where Paul speaks, let's look at one briefly. Paul speaks about the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30. Paul's in the middle of this rhetorical question where you ask a question assuming we all agree on the answer. But he's saying, not everyone is a teacher. Now, for those that picture themselves up right here speaking now, you go, yes and amen, I would never want to do that. Not everyone's a teacher. Not everyone heals, and he says not everyone speaks in tongues, very clearly. And if not everyone speaks in tongues, then that's not what's happening here in Romans 8. And there are other passages we could get to, but maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about, and you think that Christians are super weird, and they talk about their tongues too much. Fair enough. I get it. So if you do want to know more about that, ask one of the pastors, and we'd love to chat with you more about it. But Paul goes on in verse 27 to tell us more about how specifically the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Let's read. Let's read that. So let's see. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. No, that's Frank's passage. Frank gets to talk about predestination next week. He gives me the easy ones. I just get to talk about prayer. So verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What did you notice as I read that through? Did it feel kind of wooden? Like, kind of like, oh, what's he doing with the language here? The English is kind of funky in this section. I think that what he's doing is uh, there are some really interpretational challenges to this passage, which is why the language feels So Wooden Paul is trying to pack a lot of meaning into just a few words, and the English language is kind of falling short there to capture it all in a way that's all so beautiful. 
So part of what Paul's doing, the reason he's packing so much into this, is he's revealing the different elements of the Trinity, the three and one persons of God at work in our prayers. He's describing how that inner process happens, which is fascinating. So I'm going to try to unpack this here. So the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Who does he intercede to? We know Hebrews 8 and 10 all describe Jesus as an advocate to the Father. So the Spirit to Jesus to the Father. So the first part, the Spirit. The Spirit is described in these verses as interpreting the inner thoughts, the inner operating center, what Scripture would call the heart. The Spirit interprets that heart and brings it to Jesus. Jesus hears the intentions of our hearts, covers it with his blood and righteousness given on the cross, and then takes the position of an advocate to the Father. Now here's what's cool. The Father hears then a holy prayer, perfectly in line with his will and working in the world. The Father receives a sweet aroma of praise to him from our hearts. So in your pain, remember the Trinitarian God acting in this way to sustain his people. Paul uses a title to describe God here. The one who searches hearts. And that is a theme throughout the Old Testament and in a lot of different places. They describe God in this way as the heart searcher. Why is that so important? Well, the the clearest verses on this would be Jeremiah 17. You might be familiar with these, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, the heart, humanity, the, what drives us, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand the human heart? And right away, verse 10, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Who can possibly search and know the human heart? Can you even fully know your own intentions, let alone someone else? The answer is no one but the Spirit in you. Isn't it amazing to think that when we pray, we don't have to include qualifiers when we pray. Well, God, what I meant was, well, God, when I did that, what I was trying to do was, We have to do that in every other relationship, right? Head nods, yeah, totally. Every other relationship. If we want intimacy together, we have to qualify, well, let me tell you my heart. Let me tell you why I did that. We don't have to do that with God when we pray. He searches the heart. He knows the heart. You cannot be misunderstood on any level by God in prayer. And that's only true with God. Prayer is incredible in that way. But if you think about it, the inverse is also true. You also can't hide your motivations to a God who knows it better than you do. You are fully open to God. And by the way, like we shared, the Spirit's prayers and groanings for you are always in line with the perfect will of God himself, which is more than you and I can say in our prayers, right? Can you say that you pray perfectly in line with the will of God? We could try. In fact, the Spirit doesn't just know the heart. The Spirit knows all things. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths 
of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's what this verse is getting into here. The Spirit knows our hearts, but the Spirit knows the heart of God himself. That's why he can petition perfectly in line with his will. The Spirit intercedes to Jesus, our advocate, who speaks to the Father. The Spirit interprets the inner thoughts of us, brings it to Jesus. Jesus hears the intentions of our heart, covers it with his blood and righteousness. And what the Father then hears is a perfect, holy prayer, a sweet aroma of praise. What a sweet thing. A couple quick points of application here. One, prayer must be really, really important if when we're not sure how to pray or how to say it, the Spirit prays on our behalf. Prayer must be really important if that's true, that when we don't pray, the Spirit himself continues in prayer. So just consider the importance of your efforts in prayer this week. And find ways to, to try to be more faithful in prayer. And second, what came to mind is, you know those moments throughout the week when someone pops into your head? And it might be the spirit going, hey, think about this person, pray for this person. It, it makes me feel more free and bold to just follow through on that. To maybe text or call the person and say, hey, I don't have any words to say, I don't know why, but you came to my mind and I'm praying for you right now. What, what could God do with something like that this week if we, if we did that more? So can we just invite the Spirit to do that work in us and give us those opportunities to join Him in those prayers? And when we do pray, when we run into those moments where our words run out, isn't it encouraging, church, to know that the Spirit continues on and does it perfectly? Isn't that encouraging? And maybe our prayers this week could include some intentional moments of just silence before the Lord. And maybe trying to drum up more and more words to say is kind of silly when the Spirit's already speaking. For the Christian struggling to, to do that, to like, I gotta come up with more words, is a little like looking for something you already have. I think it was a few months ago, I'm talking to my wife, Helena, on the phone, and I'm like, hey, I, I, I need to get ready to go, but... I got my keys, I got my wallet, I cannot find my phone anywhere. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking around, I'm looking around where the charger, it's not there. I'm like, I can't find, I'm getting frustrated, I can't find it anywhere. And then it's, it's on my face. Isn't it a little like that when we try to drum up words, but the Spirit is already speaking, He's already groaning. Isn't that what 1 Thessalonians 5 is really about anyway, where we mentioned that our weakness fundamentally limits us from this praying without ceasing. And maybe this week, we remember that our silence before God is enough. Maybe our little mustard seeds of faith this week are enough. Remember, Jesus didn't save you because you were so great at prayer. It's not like you nailed it and he's like, oh, that was good. I gotta, I gotta lock that down. I gotta save that person. We do not need to perform well to stay in his good graces. You just practice relationship with him. People ask all the time, why is prayer so hard? And someone this week said, well, relationships take time. Isn't that so helpful to remember that we pray, we practice relationship with God in our prayers. 
This Romans 8 kind of life in the spirit is a life of confidence and trust and hope. And if you're here and that spirit is not in you, meaning you're not a Christian, you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that life is shaky ground indeed. The spirit is not in you, not groaning on your behalf. And so if that's you, if you'd like to learn more about that, we do this all the time, but come talk to one of us. We're not going to be weird about it. We're just going to celebrate even the question. And we'll pray with you and, and see what God does. So I want to continue in this vein of application, but I want to do it with a bit of a thought experiment. Because as I was preparing for today, no matter how much I tried, I could not get away from these verses and sharing this with you all today. So I don't know who this is for, but I feel really strongly that it's for someone today. Hopefully more than one person would be great, but for somebody today. So in our remaining time together, I want to show you an image and kind of set a scene and share a couple reminders and, and takeaways. So what you're looking at is an overview image of an area outside Jerusalem in Caesarea Philippi. Kind of looks like Phoenix, doesn't it? This is an area that would have been familiar to Jesus would have been traveled to by his, his followers. Uh, but for what we're going to talk about today, it was also a familiar place for King David more than a thousand years earlier. Just think that parking lot is over 2,000 years old. Amazing. <laughs> you might be familiar with the amazing passage in Psalm 42. It starts like this, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God. Now, we can't know this 100% certainly, but, but most scholars make an educated guess that King David wrote Psalm 42 from this area, north of Israel. Now consider, if we can just go down that trail for a minute, consider that David, as he's approaching that area, would have been thirsty, traveling from the desert into where you start to see the greenery, you hear the water. Like the other animals that would have come there to drink, but he's also experiencing, if you read Psalm 42, there's really heavy language in there. Why are you downcast, my soul? He's in inner anguish, personal suffering, like the kind Paul has been describing in Romans 8. And he has these very interesting words in the center of Psalm 42, in verses 7 and 8. I want to read this for you as we keep this image up here. Just in verses 7 and 8, David writes this, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So David would have run up to this area, plunged in the water, drank his fill, cooled down, experienced at least a distraction from his troubles, but as so often happens, we get a temporary relief from our struggles, but when we sit down by ourselves, they kind of come creeping back in. It's likely then that David would have stayed in the area and maybe, uh, maybe gotten a journal out and began writing or, or something like that, considering this. So consider here, he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. If you notice, yeah, the close-up picture now. There's two waterfalls in this area. As the water flows out, it splits into two. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. I think he probably would have ran under them to cool off. 
It's only about 10 meters high, so you could have stood under it, be heavy and all that. But the next thing he says is, your breakers and your waves have crashed over me. He felt the crushing weight of the water, reminded him of his pain. The roar of it would have been all he could hear in that moment. So I think it's likely then that David would have stayed in the area, camping out for a couple of days, hearing the falls at night when he goes to bed, and hearing them when he woke up again. If you look again at the language in here, verse 8, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. Think about that. And then at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I think David is seeing these falls as being commanded by God, calling them God's steadfast love. He calls them a song. Your song is with me. As he's camping out nearby, he hears them constantly. And then he calls that song a prayer to the God of my life. My mom reminded me this week, I've had some different surgeries and things like that. I have some really fun hospital stories when you're kind of on whatever they give you and you say weird things. I have a lot of those. One of them that she reminded me of this week was, there's one time I was asleep, I was recovering, I was on whatever, and I, and I pop up and I sit upright and I go, did you hear that? And she's like half asleep next to me and she's like, what? What, what happened? Did you hear that? It's a waterfall. It's the Holy Spirit. And then I fall back asleep. I don't remember any of it. And she was like, it's the weirdest thing. But she reminded me of that when I was sharing this image and this idea with her this week. I think David is considering the waterfalls here as the love of God continually poured out and his song, God's song. Have you ever thought about a waterfall in that way? Okay, so a few observations here. Romans 8 says the spirit groans too deep for words. Deep, calls to deep. So when you pray, consider that you join in a conversation with the Father and the Son and the Spirit that started before you and continues after you. This waterfall started before David, and look, here it is, still going today, long after David's death. Our prayers are like joining in with the song of God. Deep calls to deep, yesterday, today, and forever. In the middle of the breakers and the waves, when the noise is all you can hear, David calls them God's waves and God's breakers. So if that's you and you feel like, yeah, I am in that kind of crushing weight season, a great question to begin asking is, why, Holy Spirit, what, what, what do you have for me in this? In our weakness, when we fall asleep to pray, when we lose focus, we ignore it, or don't believe our prayers will work, deep still calls to deep. The Spirit's groaning continues. Church, your prayers cannot fail. Make time this week to spend time in prayer, and when you do, come as you are with as little faith as you can muster. You don't even need to have words. Just come. Give whatever you can. I have this, uh, this image that came to mind, too. If, if God's love is often described like an ocean, right, because it's, it's deep, that, that's what that word in Psalm is getting at. There's a deepness there that's unsearchable, like representing the ocean. If God's love is like an ocean, then the Spirit is like an oxygen tank to the deep sea diver, allowing us to go much 
much deeper. And you can't go deep without the Spirit. And so I hope that Psalm 42 and verses 7 and 8, that maybe that image will stay with you this week. And I hope you're encouraged, church, that your prayers cannot fail. And so I'd like to pray together. And as I do, I'm just going to um, start us off in a, a little bit of a silent prayer. We're just going to practice it right now. It's going to feel weird if maybe you've never done this before. I'll do it for like 15 seconds, but it's going to feel like five minutes. Um, so we're just going to do that now, and we'll respond in silence before the Lord and consider his word to us today, and then I'll, I'll continue in prayer. So let's, let's start that now. Jesus, we thank you for your saving work on the cross for us. God, without your work, we have no spirit in us. We are eternally grateful, God, for your sacrifice for us. And Lord, for any here who have not put their faith in you, uh, now's the time. Holy Spirit, would you just bear down on them, make it impossible not to come forward and, and say something to someone. Thank you for the freedom that this picture of prayer gives us, that when our words fall short, that's okay. Your spirit speaks and your spirit groans. And when we pray, we join in that song that I think David is getting at in Psalm 42. Thank you, God, for your great love for us. You died for us before we even knew you, could love you, and we're so thankful, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower each and every one in here this week to walk throughout their day with this kind of God consciousness, this sort of praying without ceasing idea that make us free, make us free to do that and join you in that, God. Thank you for the power of prayer. Lord, increase our faith. We bring our little mustard seed to you. <laughs> and we do everything we can with it, but God, we need your spirit. We're so thankful for your spirit. So as we respond to you now, Lord, we pray for the person that feels like this waterfall is right on their head right now. Just pray that they would see the noise of that as actually your love, your working, your song. I pray, God, that you'd fill our hearts with this kind of hope that Paul is painting, this, this idea of the glorious future that awaits us. And fill our hearts, God, with that peace, that peace that surpasses understanding, because no matter what's happening around us, we know where we're going. And for those who follow Jesus, we know where we're going. So thank you, God, for this series and this passage that gives us so much hope and confidence in your working. We love you, God. Amen. So we respond every week in the same ways here. We uh, take communion together. And when we take communion, we remember the blood of Jesus that was shared on the cross. 
And we do this remembrance with repentant hearts. As the Spirit reveals sin to us, we repent and turn from that sin and turn back to God. We sing during this time because God is worthy of our song. So we remain and we sing. We also give during this time. You can give online or there are giving boxes in the back. And also just invite you to pray. Invite you to pray as you listen, as you receive communion. Uh, You can also text in a prayer. I don't think you can text silence, but you could at least text, hey, I don't know what to pray for. Somebody pray for me. That works. We'll pray. And so let's respond in those ways now. I'd like to invite the communion service to come forward. is calling Have you come to the end of yourself Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ will come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of
unto the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ who oh, come to the altar the father's arms are As you wait for the crown, tell the world of the treasure you found. All my words fall short, I've got nothing new. I could I express all my gratitude I could sing these songs as I often do but every song must end and you never do so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Hallelujah And I know it's not much But I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing hallelujah Hallelujah I've got one response I've got just one move With my arms stretched wide I will worship you So I throw up my hands praise you again and again cause all that I have is a hallelujah hallelujah and I know it's not much but I'm nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah
Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Get shy on me, lift up your song. You got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. throw up my hands and praise you again and again cause all that I have is a hallelujah hallelujah and I know it's not much but I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Well, thank you for worshiping with us this Sunday. Let me read this over us as a prayer as we go into the week after a sermon that spoke so much of the character of God that he would be uh, praying for us in groans uh, in the ways that we couldn't even think to ask the right things. As we pray and go through this week, let us remember the character of God. And as I read this, let this shape us as we are sent into the world. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret long ages, but has now been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. We love you. Go and live all of life all for Jesus.